been in John 8 uh, for a couple of weeks now. Last week, we, t- we talked about how Jesus, he declares himself the light of the world, right? He's like, I am the light of the world. And he, he declares, uh, you know, that, you know, as he says this, it's a loaded statement because all of the Pharisees and all of the Sadducees and all the people that are listening, um, they, when they think of the light of the world, they, they think about the voice of God that went out at, at the beginning of creation. It says, let there be light. And, and God, you know, like things started to happen. And, and, and so, um, you know, in, in Hebrew uh, theology and in understanding, light and darkness is, has such a strong implication into their understanding of God and understanding of, you know, darkness and evil, that when Jesus said this, it just really just infuriated them. And so um, Jesus has another one of his confrontations with these religious leaders. He tells them that they don't know God, you know, they don't, that they're not going to where he's going to, which is heaven, and they will basically die in their sins, right? Jesus, he's like, right now, if you read this, you're like, you, sometimes you think like, wow, I can't believe he's saying this, right? Because he is pulling no punches. He knows he's, he's headed somewhere. And in doing this, he knows that these confrontations uh, need to be made, right? And in a, in a way, this is a loving thing that Jesus is doing. Jesus isn't just being a jerk here. It's a loving thing. When there's a group of people that are basically headed to hell, um, destined for, to die in their sins, it is a loving thing to just confront them and, and and in this way, Jesus is doing it, um, you know, being led by the Spirit. And, and the Bible says that some will turn to him, some will turn to the light, but some will actually, like, flee from the light. Some will actually close their heart even more and, and, and fall into deeper darkness. And this is, that's kind of like what is happening here. But in John um, 8, in verse 30, we have this a little bit of hope. It says, I'm going to start reading from John 8, and it says that, as he was saying these things, many believed him. Right? It says many believed him. I said, wow, that's, that's exciting. Some of, many of these Jews believed him. But in verse 31, it says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. So he's actually saying this to the Jews that who believed him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. I want to move down to verse 43. It says, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do the father's, your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so Jesus is talking. He's like saying all these things. His, word, his words are going out. And it says that many Jews believed him. And the very next verse, it says that he's talking t- these things to the Jews that believed him. And then a few verses later, he, Jesus calls them out and says, you guys are children of the devil. Like, what's going on here? Right? What's happening? Like, what, what, where is Jesus taking us in, this, in the rhetoric that he's using? 
And so uh, I want to talk to you guys about four things today. Um, it's kind of be woven throughout my sermon. And the first thing is true faith, discipleship, truth, and freedom. Right? John writes in his gospel that many believe him, but later Jesus calls them the children of the devil. These are really harsh words. Um, and he says these not to the ones that didn't believe him. He's saying this to the ones that actually did believe him. Now, what does that mean? And I want to start by talking to you guys about shallow belief. Now, and how different it is from true faith. If you ask people out in the world, right, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? And many people will say, well, I believe in some sort of higher power. A lot of people, they'll say, I'm spiritual. You know, who's heard of that before when you've talked about religion with people? Well, I'm spiritual. You know, I believe that there's a greater power out there, you know, um, so even Christians, uh, many quit people that call themselves quit Christian will say, well, I, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And then when you look at their lives, and there's like really no transformation that has happened um, in their lives. It's just, it's, it's just in their identity, identification of who they are. I'm a Christian. But you don't see any of the fruits growing in their lives. And so the Bible and Jesus himself mentions this shallow belief many times in the Bible. The parable of the sower he gives three examples of shallow belief and one example of true faith. You know, the seed that falls in the path and in, in, in the rocky soil and the thorny soil. Um, and these are, these are, this is like shallow belief. And it says when tribulation and persecution come or just the cares of the world come, um, they will wither up and they will die. And Luke 8, 13, Jesus says that these are ones that believe for a while. He's talking about these parables, and he says, these are ones that believe for a while. There is a thing called shallow belief. And you have to understand, this is one of the most dangerous places that you can be in. 1 John 2.19, it says, Then they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. He's talking about people that actually believed at one point that they were Christians, but they had completely missed the mark. Jesus talks about these people in Matthew 7, 21, and I believe this is a very, you know, th th this is a, a verse that, you know, when, you know, earlier on in my faith would, would shake me to the core and sometimes freak me out. But it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Right? This is, this, you know, if you're like, you know, like if you're not really sure about your salvation, this can actually be a little terrifying. Because there is a thing called shallow belief. And it can mean the difference between death and life. But Jesus here, as he is declaring the truth, he, he lays down the guidelines of what true faith really is. There's a difference between believing in the idea of Jesus and having true faith of in Jesus in our lives. And Jesus says that it's in abiding in his word. Right? He says that truth, you know, you are truly a disciple if you abide in his word, meaning that a sign of true faith is true discipleship. 
James talks about this in, in James 1. says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James isn't saying that works will save us, right? You know, he, 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 he reiterates many times this, this grace that saves us. But he's saying that the faith in Jesus that truly saves is one where God changes us. True faith that saves is one where we follow his word to the end. If we abide in my, if you abide in my word, you are truly, you are truly my disciples. Right? That word abide in the Greek is called meno. Right? And it means to remain, to continue, to not depart, to be held, to be kept continuously. So it's like this closeness. It's a word that like denotes like this closeness and being a part of something, but it's actually also. Um, like continuing on and, and being on and, and going on like continuously. This is very different than the sinner's prayer that Christians try to get non-believers to say. And they say it and then we tell them that, oh, you're a Christian now and we feel good about ourselves. And I'm not saying that that prayer is bad, right? If a non-Christian came into church today, if some like non-Christian came in and said, I want to be a Christian today, I would have them pray that prayer, right? I would say, pray this prayer with me. I would have them pray that prayer. But what Jesus is saying is that that prayer alone does not save you. It's a relationship with Jesus, knowing who he is, because you have truly put your faith in him and starting following his way, his word, his will, the leading of his spirit that he has deposited in you as you see Jesus as the truth. That is meno. That is abide. That is discipleship. Right? And Jesus says, this, this is a sign. Right? This, is, this is a sign that you are truly my disciples. And here's where truth comes in. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus says that if we are his disciple and we remain in him, if we abide in him, in, in him, in him, we will know the truth. That truth is not information. Right? A lot of us, we think like, you know, the truth is something that we know. It's something that we understand. Right? I rebuke you in Jesus' name. <laughs> oh, it stopped. <laughs> uh, um, praise the Lord, right? That truth is not information, right? Like the truth that Jesus is talking about um, is not like head knowledge, some people think it's information, like truth is information, and they will argue with you about the Bible all the live long day. Who knows people like that? They just love to argue with you, right? And you go up to them and you just, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, what do you believe? This or that? And then they're like, they already has this argument. Like, I want to show you how much of the truth you got inside of my head, man. They think that truth is information. Truth is not information. Truth is not education. Truth is not head knowledge. The truth is not a thing, it's a person. Truth is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So truth that Jesus is offering us here is himself. In other words, we have to know Jesus as truth. The ultimate truth. I know him, you know, doesn't mean you know of him. This is shallow belief again. Right? 
I know that the Eiffel Tower exists and that it's in Paris, but I have never been there. I don't know what it's like to look upon it. I don't even know if you can actually be in. It. Can you like climb the Eiffel Tower? Does anybody know? Is it something that you can actually go inside? I don't know because I've never actually like. It's not a big thing in my mind. Like I know it's there, but I don't really know the Eiffel Tower. I've never been, you know, in that area and being looking at it and touching it and doing whatever. I don't even know if you can touch it. I know Barack. I know of Barack Obama. Right. I know, I know, you know, what he sounds like. I could, if I hear him in the news, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Barack Obama. Very distinct voice. I don't, I don't know Barack Obama. Right? He doesn't know me. But what Jesus is calling us into is a relationship where we know him as ultimate truth in our lives. And I'm like, what does this knowing something about and it becoming truth in our life? I want to give you an example of gravity. We all know gravity as truth in our lives. So I walk up to the edge of this Gwangan Bridge right here. I climb to the top. I know that if I jump off this bridge, what am I, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to fall, right? This is gravity. It's the truth in my life. So, so my life, the way I move my body, even when I was a kid, me learning to walk was me coming to grips with the truth of gravity. That if I like lean too forward, I'm going to fall. If I go to the edge of a building and I jump off, I'm going to fall. That's, that is gravity becomes truth in my life. And for those that are in Christ Jesus, that are abiding him in him, that are following him, we have put our faith in him. It means we know him as the ultimate truth. He is truth. Everything he has said and done is truth. And what he has brought into our lives through his death and his resurrection is truth. And what he has and, and we live our lives according to this truth. This truth becomes our reality. The truth that Jesus is real, that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, that he is interceding for us, that one day we're going to see him because of what? Because of what he has done on the cross. That When that truly becomes truth in our lives, that we start to have this relationship. We start to actually really know him. And he says that if you have this truth, if Jesus Christ truly becomes truth in us, Jesus says that this truth, which is himself, will set us free. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This seems very different from shallow belief, belief that doesn't affect the way we live our lives. This doesn't mean that we're perfect, that we never fail, that we never stumble. And this isn't talking about religion. This is not talking about being religious. Oh, I don't do that. I don't do this. This is talking about a relationship with the person, Jesus Christ, where we abide in him. And he starts to transform our hearts. He starts to transform our thinking. He transforms our, our affection. And we begin to want to obey. Not out of duty, but out of love for him. We follow him. Because of his love for us and his beauty, we, we start to recognize his beauty, we start to recognize his glory, and all of this becomes truth in us. His truth changes the way we see God, the way we see ourselves, the way we see people, and the way we see the world. And Jesus says, that truth will set you free. Now, when we talk about freedom, we have to differentiate between worldly freedom and biblical freedom. 
Worldly freedom is very different from biblical freedom. And this is where many of us, we mess up because when we think of biblical freedom and the freedom that Jesus brings, in the sense, we look at it from the sense of the, the worldly freedom that we come to be accustomed to. And we put expectations on biblical freedom that is delivered, that is derived from worldly freedom. Worldly freedom is basically about autonomy. Autonomy is defined as freedom from external control or influence, being able to make our own choices, make our own decisions. No one tells me what to do, right? That's worldly freedom. That's the freedom for those of us from America and North America, we know how important this is to the culture. There's this article that I read from the Atlantic. I don't know if you guys realize that like, I started school and when I was like in the 90s, when I went to college, like it was only about the textbook. All we had to do was read the textbook, right? That's all we had. The only information that was given to us was the textbook. But now, like for one of my classes, like 40% of what I'm reading and answering questions on are from magazine articles from the internet, right? That's how much technology and the internet has been integrated into our education system. And I'm like reading constantly, like they're like, read this article, write like a, like a 200 word response. Read this article. I'm just like, dude, what is, no? Like it's changed a lot. But I read this article from the Atlantic um, it's one of those, you know, magazines that, that are online. And basically it says that the need for autonomy is correlated to this more primal need in us, which is a need for power. And the quote from the article says, power is autonomy, as autonomy is a form of power that allows one person to ignore and resist the influence of others and thus to shape one's own destiny. And this is the world's definition of freedom. You look at all of the major themes that come out from movies, the world's movies, the TV shows and music. It's like no one tells me what to do. I'm going to do my thing. And I have the power to control my destiny. That's the world's understanding of freedom. And to succeed in the world is for us to discover ourselves. Be the best version of me that I can be. And, that, and that's freedom in the world sense, right? But biblically, this doesn't work because what? Because of sin. We are all sinful. And so me discovering myself and being the best version of me I can be biblically means that I am still a slave to sin. That I am still under the power and under the, 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 the penalty and the punishment of sin in my life. Jesus tells them that the truth will set them free, and they respond, well, we are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, this is laughable because the person that made this response is either, like, not the sharpest tool in the shed, he's kind of dumb, or they, their definition of freedom is warped. Because the, the children of Abraham, they have been enslaved. By Egypt, by the Assyrians, the Babylonians. Like the, there's like a long list of people that, that, that the Jews have been, you know, have, have been enslaved by. And currently, as this guy is saying the very words that are coming out of his mouth, they are under the oppressions of the Romans. Right? So either this guy is dumb or they have a warped sense of freedom. And I think that's the issue here. They saw freedom as being able to do whatever it was that they were allowed to do. Under Egypt, they were allowed to remain the Hebrews. 
and, and have their identity. Under Babylon, they were allowed to be Hebrews and do their rituals and practice their religion. And even under the Roman Empire, they were able to be allowed to be, be their, their Jews, practice their rituals and their religion they had basically created for themselves. And so under their definition of freedom, as long as they were allowed to do what they thought they were supposed to do, they were free. You guys get it, right? As long as they thought in their head, you know what, this, I'm doing what I actually think I'm supposed to be doing. We're free. But there's a difference in the freedom that Jesus brings. In Jesus, and he becomes, as he becomes the ultimate truth, and when we live in that truth, and he becomes our truth, and now we don't live in a freedom where we do whatever we think that we're supposed to do. We don't live in a, in a world where we think you know, we do whatever we want. It's true freedom to do what we have been designed to do by the creator himself. We have the freedom to be who we are called to be in Jesus Christ. You guys see the difference? See, the worldly thinking and biblical thinking are polar opposites. What does the world say about making it in life? You got to be first. You got to get that money. You got to be better than the next. You know, you got to have more, earn more, be better, be over everyone else, be their boss, have a better looking wife than that guy, you know, have a better looking car than that guy. You got to be number one, all about me, one, one, one. But what does the Bible say about success? Matthew 20, 26, it shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant. What? And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This makes no sense to the world. If you, if you go to like a, like a CEO of a multinational company and say, it shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant. He's going to laugh you. He's going to laugh in your face and he's going to kick you out of his office, right? This makes no sense to the world unless Jesus is at work in your heart. Unless he is your truth. Jesus says, Matthew 16, 25, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Every like, psychologist out in the world will tell you that it's all about you discovering you. It's all about finding you. You got you to be you, right? You got to be the truth. You, know, like, you got to discover who you really are. But Jesus says, lose yourself. Lose you. Die to you. For my sake, and then you will have true life. That's complete opposite to what the world says. The world will tell you, become the best. You know, that you that you can be. Do what you want. Live how you want. No one tells you what to do. No one tells me what to do. I'm going to find my destiny. And it's often linked to money. You, know? so you, can, you have more money. Make more money so that you have more options. Take vacations to where and when you want drive the car you want, but Jesus tells us that freedom that we think we have, we are actually in slavery. We are a slave to sin, and no matter what we do on this earth to have this freedom, whatever feelings of freedom that we might be able to produce by trying to be the best that we can be and, and get everything in life that we want, whatever that momentary freedom that we might be able to find is fleeting. You guys, it's fleeting. You know how I know? You go on a vacation, you feel great. You're on top of the week. You come back. Nothing's changed, right? 
you have your memories, but it's like, you still, I'm still Caleb Lee. I still have my problems. I still have my issues. It's fleeting. Whatever freedom, whatever, like, you know, like, sense of freedom that we think that we can buy or we can obtain by trying to fix ourselves, however momentary that fleet it's all fleeting. It's, it, it's, it's not true freedom because we're continuing to live under the, the dominion of sin in our lives. It ultimately ends with us remaining in our sins, being a slave to sin, and Jesus says ultimately we'll be dead in our sins. But Jesus, he's the son of God, and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This echo, an echo of this is in, in, in Paul's writing in Romans 8.15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Our Father. The freedom that Jesus has for us, it comes from a new identity. We are no longer slaves or even servants, but we are sons, sons of God. And that identity brings true freedom into your life. Hebrews 2.15, it says, And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That was our identity before Jesus Christ. Lifelong slavery, the fear of death and to sin. And Jesus came, offers us a freedom from the one thing that we cannot conquer, which is sin. We can't conquer sin in our lives. Who thinks that they can conquer sin in your life on your own? You guys are sadly mistaken. We can't conquer sin. We will always be a slave to sin without Jesus Christ. No matter how hard we try, no matter how holy we try to be on our own, have you, have you ever had one of those weeks where you're just like, for the whole week, you're like, man, I feel so holy. I woke up early every morning. I read the Bible and I prayed two hours. And you're just like, man, I feel, I, I was so nice to my wife. I was so nice back to them. Like my coworkers, you know, like was cussing me out. And I said, God bless you. Try to be as holy as you can possibly be. At the end of the day, you're still under sin. There's nothing that you can do on your own to make yourself right, to conquer sin in your life. It's, it's, it's hopeless. We will never be able to conquer sin and the effects of sin in our lives without Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardian and manager until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. That's what, that's what God says that we are. Now, Ethan and Ezra, they're my sons, and they live in my home. But can they do whatever they want? Can they live however they want? No. 
There are rules. There's discipline because I love them. But do they have freedom in my house? Yes. They don't have to perform to strive to receive my love. I won't kick them out because they did, they did something wrong, like pee on his brother. <laughs> Ezra did that last night as they were washing up in the bathroom. Peed on Ethan. I'm not going to kick him out. Right? We discipline him on purpose, man. God, boys do nasty things. Let me tell you, if you guys have boys, you know, if you guys have girls, praise God. AJ, you're going to have one, but you're going to get half the grossness, but you're still going to get some of the grossness, right? I fulfill their needs. I fulfill their wants. They don't have to work for food. As long as they are in my realm, they are free. Why? Because of relationship. They are my son. Now, if one of their friends came over, I'll give them a juice box and a cookie and let them watch my TV for a while. But at one point, they're going to have to leave, right? They have to go home. But my kids, we have a relationship. There's a connection between us where I belong to them and they belong to me. There's a oneness in us. And you know what that is? That's meno. That's abide. That's to remain. That's to continue. And this brings true freedom. Because we are his sons. You guys have to understand that. And this is freedom that Jesus brings. It's a freedom for us to know him, obey him, obey and live our lives as, as we were meant to live. It's a freedom that comes from true grace. Without Jesus, we will be a slave to sin. We will never be free of it. But in Christ, our sins have been paid for on the cross. So we don't have to earn our forgiveness. That's freedom right there. You know that? That's freedom. We don't have to earn our forgiveness. We are free from sin. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't mess up. It doesn't mean that there isn't consequences to sin. But if we truly are in Christ Jesus, truly in him, where he is truth in us, right? Where we look at Jesus and look at he is the truth. When that, that becomes a reality in our life, sin and death has no power over us. You guys get this. And that's true freedom. That's freedom indeed. For sin and death to not have any power over us, that is freedom. And this comes from true faith. It doesn't come from shallow belief. The faith where the Spirit of God comes and does his work of sanctification in us. And we see Jesus as truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Right? We see him as the ultimate truth in our lives. And brothers and sisters, if he becomes the ultimate truth in our lives, we will see things differently. We see life differently. We no longer, you know, are a slave to sin, to the, to the ways of the thinkings of the world, but we have a freedom that comes from the Son as sons. And the freedom that he brings is true freedom. Freedom indeed. And I want to end this because this truth, when it truly sets in, and I'm not talking about, oh, I know I'm free in Christ, la, 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 but truly sets in, and you know that you are, and you are convinced that neither death, 
nor life, nor angels, or demons, or anything present, or in the future, or any powers, or no height, or death, or any other created thing could separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If this truly becomes a reality in your heart, and you start to really know Jesus Christ, I see him. I don't see him, but I know that he's there, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back. He's going to come and rule and reign, and I'm going to rule and reign with him. When this becomes truth in our life, what is birthed from that realization is worship. True worship. Where true, like worship is it, where it's not something that we do or try. How many of you have tried to worship before? I've, many times. I'm guilty of that. I'll come to Sunday. I am feeling it. I've had an argument with Mina. We've been like cold to each other all on the drive home. <laughs> I come to church and I have to try. I'm like, you're worthy of it all. And I'm like, oh, why is my wife the way that she is, right? But, when, but let me tell you, when this becomes truth in us, the, like there's a fountain that is birthed. Jesus said, from your bellies will flow rivers of living water. This is what he's talking about. When he becomes the truth in us. And we, we realize, man, this is our paradigm. This is how we see the world. Jesus is real. He's done what he said he has done. And he's right now in heaven. He's going to come back. We're going to rule and reign with him eternally, perfectly in love, peace, and harmony. This is, this, this is my destiny. The only thing that can happen is true worship starts to flow from your heart. Well, you don't have to try, but it's an overflow overflow, right? Have you ever done a volcano experiment before? You've done it. Where you put vinegar or baking soda in something, and you put vinegar on top, and it's like, right? We saw, I did that with the kids the other day during the coronavirus lockdown in our house. Right? It just flowed out, like, whoosh, and they're like, whoa, right? But you know what? That's what happens when we realize the truth that Jesus is, that worship starts to flow out of us. We don't have to try. But it's true worship because we, because we know him as truth. So I want to close today, and I want us to sing this song. I want us to end this time with a little bit of worship. If you can come up. If you can. Let's all stand up. And let's, let's close this time worshiping our Lord.